pray you be with us tonight, God, as we hear your word, as we listen to it, God. Let it draw us, let it convict us, let it deal with us, God. And let us just just enjoy being with you, God, because you really are the reason why we came. I pray and I thank you, God, that we just don't come out of tradition on a Wednesday night. But truthfully, Lord, we, we came because we wanted to be with you. And you're the one that matters. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so I was, I was just preparing and praying and just what the Lord would have me to minister and to consider for this night. One thing that I just kept thinking about a lot is, and, and you may laugh and you may find this kind of odd, is I just, as, as a pastor or, or as a preacher, right, I feel like there's such a pressure these days to come up with something new. Does anybody ever, ever any, any preachers in here feel that way? You know, you feel like all the minister, all of these guys want to have a new word or the next big word or some type of message that is so dynamic. And everybody's like, how'd you do that? Or what was that like? Or I've never seen that before. And that's amazing. And it's like, and really it's a sad thing because it becomes a temptation for pastors to chase after uh, really just people's feedbacks and wanting people to think highly of them. But the reality is, is what I've just come to understand and what I love so much is that the simple word of God is enough. And I find it funny that for some reason, it seems in the American church overall, it just seems that somehow, some along the path, that the word of God just wasn't enough. And we had to create sermons that were developed some special way, or we had to have some great orator ability or something. And we had everything pieced together, everything so nice. And, and I've just, I just been pondering that, and I'm just like, why? Like, what happened? When did Jesus' simple truths in his words just not be enough for us? And I say that even as a pastor, like, because I know the temptation of that. And, and so what I want to do tonight is I, I just want to look at the words of Jesus. I just want to, I want to sit before them and I want to let them affect us. Because his word truly is the only word that matters in his life. And what he says does change us. Am I, am I kind of buzzing? No? Okay. And so I just want to sit underneath that tonight. And so what I want to do is I want to encourage us really is to embrace, and this is what I want to look at, is I want us to embrace the teachings of Jesus that teach us to embrace a life of of death, if I'm just being honest. And, you know, you say that, and I was like, gosh, that sounds kind of morbid when I was when I was thinking and praying. But, it, you know, the reality is, is that when we understand that when we embrace the way of Christ, and that is a life of death, it is through that that we actually receive life. Right? You can't, we can't live in our flesh and live our lives and expect to have the life that God wants for us. But when we are willing to lay our lives down and to die, it is then and only then that we receive the life of God. And that is the joy, right? That is the communion with God, the experience of being with him and knowing him. And so I just want to encourage us tonight to embrace the way of Christ that, that through death leads to life for us and gives us life. And so if you would just turn with me to the book of Mark. And just titled this sermon, the, uh, the, the, road to, the Road of the Cross. The Road of the Cross. We're turning to the book of Mark. We're going to go to chapter 8. And uh, before we get there, really I want to give you a little bit of thoughts. Just some of these things, you know. I don't, I'm not here to say, hey, let me, let me tell you something you never heard before. I'm just here to tell you what the Word says. And you've heard me probably say some of these things before. You, and I know you've definitely heard Pastor Lee say some of these things before. But when I was just... Praying through this, and the Lord put this on my heart. When I came to this passage, I was just like, Lord, this, this is a word that I really feel like is necessary. Necessary because of the time that we live in, and necessary because of what is ahead of us in, as a nation, and potentially as Christians in this nation. But knowing as you turn to Mark 8, I want to give you a little bit of background about Mark 8. So before you start reading, let me 
kind of help you understand what's happened. In the Gospel of Mark, which is one of my favorite Gospels, it's the most action-packed Gospel. It moves at a really fast pace. The thing that you'll see very quickly about the Gospel of Mark is that it's moving along, and in about chapter 8, something very significant happens. Something extremely significant happens. But before that, what really what happens through the Gospel of Mark is that there's these hints all along the way of who Jesus is. There's not this clear, it's like Jesus makes hints, Jesus makes these, these statements, demons say some things, but people are still kind of like, who is this guy? And trying to follow like who really Jesus is. But in Mark chapter 8, something significant happens, and something great happens. And really it's on this path, and it's the path to Jerusalem that we see this happen. Jesus sets his face, or he begins to walk towards Jerusalem, and in a sense what he begins to walk to is he begins to walk to his death. And along this journey, really chapters 8 through 10, you see some of the greatest example or the greatest lessons you could ever read as a disciple of Jesus. It is where it is in these chapters that we learn about what it means to be a disciple and discipleship in our lives. And so when you read these chapters right here, you will see conversations, three different conversations between the disciples and Jesus that just pinpoint aim at their very lives. Are you going to go where Christ goes? Are you going to be what Christ has called you to be at one point in the fall i preached a message regarding this about the way of christ being of servanthood and that's in mark chapter 10 and it was this uh, that was one of those examples one of those moments where he really put the he put it in front of him are you going to be a servant because that's what i am and then today what i want to look at is the thing that jesus teaches and talks about in mark chapter 8 which is really just a paradox so much of Jesus' teachings and so much of what Jesus says is just paradoxes over and over again. And if you're unfamiliar with a paradox, it's really it's, it's something that sounds impossible or untrue, but when examined, it turns out to be true, right? Think about Jesus, right? When he says, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, you have to be the lowest. That doesn't make sense, right? To us, well, maybe we've heard these things all our lives, and so in the church world, we're like, amen, I know that. But the reality is when you live in the world that we live in today, that's not how you get to the top. That's not how you achieve things. That's not how you do things. And I want to look at one of those truths that Jesus brings out, a paradox where he talks about that in order to save your life, you must lose your life. In order to save your life, you must lose your life. And so if you would read with me in verse 27, where Jesus speaks to his disciples. And what I want to kind of hope to do tonight is, and I pray that you would, you would follow along with this, is just kind of, let's kind of move through this as a story. If you could, I, I really believe that the Bible should be read in such a way that you can feel it. That it's not just words on a page. It's not just dull things. But you could really imagine yourself in the scenes. Imagine yourself being there. Imagine seeing or hearing the words that Jesus says. Imagine being a part of this. And so in verse 27, he starts, he says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly and openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so this is a passage that Jesus is going to teach his disciples, as you just read and saw, a lesson on what it means to follow him. And the truth is, is every one of us in here, and I know this because it's a Wednesday night crowd, we are followers of Jesus. We are disciples. And we need to sit ourselves under the things of God and the word of God and really Jesus' word and said, if we're going to be disciples, if we're going to be followers, Lord, what, what does that look like? And Jesus makes it very plain and simple here. And so I want to kind of think about it this way as we move through this story. I'm going to break it up into a couple of different scenes. And I want you to think about scene one. If you could think of we're here, just imagine this scene in verse 27 through 31. Jesus takes his disciples on a field trip here. Okay? He takes his disciples to a place. Does anybody, you can look down and what was the place that he took them? Caesarea Philippi. Okay, the last place that Jesus was at before he took his disciples there was around the Sea of Galilee. And you probably don't know this, but that's about 20 to 25 miles away from where they were. So Jesus takes his disciples and he says, hey, guys, we're going to go to Caesarea Philippi. And if you don't know much about Caesarea Philippi, you may not think it's a big deal that Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. You may think it's just another place that Jesus visited. But the reality is that when he went to Caesarea Philippi, he actually went there with an agenda. He went there with a purpose. He went there to prove something to his disciples. Because like I said earlier in this gospel, before this moment in the gospel of the gospel of Mark, Jesus has not been called the Messiah or the Christ by his disciples or by any other man. They have an idea. They have a hint. They kind of understand. Maybe you are the Messiah. Maybe you are the one that God was going to, that God is going to send and restore the kingdom of Israel. But they have not publicly said that yet. No one has said that. The only ones who have said that are the demons. And Jesus would silence them. Because his time was not yet. And so he knows that he's going to bring his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Why? Because he needed a tent there. And his intent was this to reveal who he really was to them. He was going to reveal at Caesarea Philippi that he was the Messiah and that he was the Christ that Peter calls him in this passage. But what's unique of why he brought them to Caesarea Philippi is because this was no ordinary place. This wasn't just like Bethlehem or Jerusalem or some other town that you might find in Israel. But this was a town of horrific sin and idolatry. It was a pagan town. It was an unclean town. It was a Gentile town. So just the very fact that Jesus would go there for these Jewish boys who are following along with him, which most likely these Jews, these disciples are not older than 20. Most of them are probably younger than that. These are young boys who are following along with Jesus, their rabbi, and he's taking them to this place that they know their whole lives are not supposed to go there. Because this place is not just a, 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 a kind of bad place. This place is where all of Old Testament idolatry took place. They called it the demonic headquarters of the day. This is where Baal worship took place. This is where they built the other altar so that the, uh, the northern tribe could worship to. This is where the Greeks set up a whole place called Pans where they could, they could practice all these horrific, horrific, and I, I don't want to go too much because there's kids in here, but things that were going on in, 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 in that temple. There was also a temple to Zeus. There was a temple to the Romans. It was basically the headquarters of all demonic activity. It was a horrible place. And for some reason, Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, where they're not supposed to go, to reveal to them who he is. And he asks them the question, 
Who do, you say, who, do, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, right? That, that's a pretty big, he was important. Some say you're Elijah, and some say you're one of the prophets. And he removes the question from this broad, who do people say that I am, to the question, who do you say that I am? And we all know that that really is the greatest question you could be asked tonight. Who do you say Jesus is? How, what does your life reflect that you, who you believe Jesus is? Does your life reflect that you believe he is the Christ as Peter would? Or does your life reflect that he's just a genie in the bottle? Whatever it might be. We all like him, right? But he brings him to this place and he asks him, who do you say that I am? And we know Peter gets it right. We've read the passage. We've seen it before. We've heard these stories all our lives. And Peter jumps up and he's like, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. And you have to understand, when Peter said that you are the Christ, this was like, in another gospel in Matthew, Jesus says to him, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven did, right? Like, you got this right. This is the truth. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. But the problem was, is that what Peter said about Jesus is that he didn't even understand what he was saying. He really didn't even understand. They had an idea of the Messiah, but they did not know really what the Christ meant. They thought, just like most of the Jews of the day, that the Christ would be one who would come and destroy the Roman occupants, that would overthrow the Roman government, that would overthrow all these Gentiles and all of these people that had put the Jews under this painful place. And because Jesus is now the Messiah, he's going to come and he's going to ride his horse and he's going to charge into there and he's going to destroy the Romans. And he's going to set up the kingdom of Israel once again and even better than David did. That's what they were hoping for. That's the kind of Messiah. You've heard these things before. That's what they were believing for. So when he brings them to this place of Caesarea Philippi, he brings them to the most sinful place you could imagine in that area. It's just horrible. It's like way worse than Mardi Gras if you go read the descriptions, okay? And so he brings them to this place to say, I am the Christ. And he says, on this rock, I'll build my church. On the profession that I am the Christ, I am the Messiah. And on this place where this is a rock right behind me, I am going to build my church. And meaning this, that all the strongest places of hell, and there was an, actually a place called the gates of hell there. The strongest places of hell will not stand against me. Will not stand against my church. And they're like, yes. But the problem is they're still like, yes, and they're not understanding. Because, again, they think he's going to be this Roman overthrow. We're, we're, like, the Romans are right behind him, basically. And he's like, I'm the Messiah. And they're like, charge the hill. Like, right now, we could take him. Because he's the Messiah, right? He's the one that they promised. That was promised to come. And so all of these sort of things. And so they had this false expectation of the Messiah. They had a misunderstanding of who the Messiah was. They really didn't understand it. But Jesus clarifies what type of Messiah he would be. And the second scene that you see take place right after this is Jesus moves from like, okay, I reveal who I am to you. And Peter gets it right. And they're like, okay, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is correct and all these sort of things. But he moves from this to all of a sudden where he reveals the kind of Messiah he is to correct their faulty thinking. Because he knows what they're thinking. He knows what the Jewish people expected. He knew what the people of that day expected. And so he moves to describe the kind of Messiah or the kind of Christ that he would be. And it is not like they'd imagine. Verses 27 through 30 tell us very clearly this is the kind of Messiah he'd be. He'd be one who would be rejected. Or I'm sorry, 31 through 33. He'd be one who would suffer. He'd be rejected. He would be killed. And after three days, he'd rise again. That's not the kind of Messiah they thought was coming. They didn't believe that at all. And so you have to understand, this is like a moment where it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
So Peter's reaction really isn't that shocking. I think sometimes we might think it's shocking. But for him, it's really not that shocking. But what Jesus reveals about this is he reveals the kind of him Messiah is he, that he's going to be is one that goes the way of death. He dies. And through death, he will have triumph. This is who he is. Jesus, giving his life through the death of his life, he will triumph over sin. He will triumph over um, darkness and powers and all of these things. He will triumph over these things. But it wasn't going to be like they thought it was going to be. It was going to be the way Jesus is called to do it. So he describes himself in a way that they don't understand. And so you see Peter's reaction in verse, um, verse 31 or 32. And it says, right, or 32 right here, it says, he said plainly. So you got to imagine all of these things that, that Jesus is saying to them. He's not hiding it from them. He's not making it some mystery. It says that he's plainly telling them, I am going to die. Peter gets it. Peter's got his idea of what the Messiah should be. And so Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. You can't be this kind of Messiah. You can't be this one. This isn't how it's supposed to happen. You're supposed to ride the horse. You're supposed to go into there. And when you go into that, the, the, the area, you're going to overthrow the Romans and you're going to set everything up again. This is how it's supposed to be, Jesus. And you see the response that Jesus gives him. Jesus says in verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. And y'all, as I was reading this, I was considering this truth. I just thought to myself, how often we have this idea of what Jesus is supposed to be or what he's supposed to do. Like as if, we, he, okay, he's the Messiah and we got our idea, like this is what he should be doing for me. He should be doing these type of things. But the problem is, is that just like Peter, we missed the what kind of Messiah is. He's one that goes the way of death so that life can come, the way of death so triumph can come. This is who he is as the Messiah. This was his actions. This was his life. This is what he did with his life. And Peter didn't get that. Peter was in a sense like, you can't be doing this because that doesn't preserve us. That doesn't make everything nice. That doesn't fit into my understanding. And so Jesus rebukes Peter. And could you imagine this? Just like think about this moment where Peter, Jesus turns and rebukes Peter. Could you imagine being rebuked by Jesus? That's pretty painful, right? Could you imagine, have you ever been rebuked in front of people? That's pretty painful too. Then add in that you're not only rebuked, but you're rebuked and you're called Satan. Like, that's probably the most painful rebuke you could ever imagine. Right? I mean, that's, that's a tough rebuke. But the reason why is because he was telling Peter, you are thinking through the mind of man, not through the things of God. And many of us fall into this category at times. Because we have this idea that this is what Jesus is supposed to do for me. This is what Jesus should be. If he's the Messiah, this is what he's supposed to do. Jesus said, no, if I'm the Messiah, I'm going to die and give my life this way. And Jesus was the one who determined. God was the one who determined. His focus was what? The the mind of God. Doing the things of God. His focus was on what God had for him. Not on what people wanted him to be. And so we do not have the authority or the ability to manipulate Jesus. and and, And say, you're this. Since you're the Messiah, you have to be this for me. You have to be these things for me. We have to embrace who he says he is. What scripture says about him. What the word tells us. What he was focused on. And Peter didn't get that. And much like Peter. I feel like we fall into that at times. Where our focus is trying to get Jesus to be certain things. When Jesus is saying. This, no, you, you're misunderstanding. This is who I am. And so it moves on into this, the, the scene from there. Where you see this in verse 34. Right? Through 38. 
Or after this rebuke, Jesus has made it very clear. Okay, you are thinking wrongly. And Jesus doesn't just like hide the fact. He doesn't hide in any way that he's going to die, right? It says, he, he says plainly he spoke to them. He doesn't hide that the way of Jesus is death. It's not a mystery. I, you have to see that. The way of Jesus is death, but it leads to life. That's why he says, I'm going to die and be raised again. And we know that that resurrection brought life to us. But you have to understand that Jesus' life, he knew that his way, the way of his life was death. But that's not the only one that's called to that. Because what happens in the next few verses is he says, my way, the way of Christ, what I am called to, my followers are called to. And so if you don't understand that this is what Jesus the journey he took on the road to the cross. Many of us will say, well, Jesus, I don't have to go that way. But the scripture makes it very clear. We go where he goes. We walk where he walks. He calls us to follow him. In verses 34 through 38, you see that. It says, look, he turned, 34 says, calling to the crowd with his disciples. So he gets everybody's attention. He's not hiding this at all. He's made it clear that I am the Christ. I am the one who is going to go and suffer and die. This is who I am. And then he extends that not only to his own life, but then he extends it to his disciples. He extends it to me and you. He extends it to the twelve. He extends it to the crowd. And he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that is a great phrase. That's a, a hefty thing to read. Because so much of our Christian life and so much of our Christianity is we, we, we want to live the Christian life that's comfortable for us. Like, and I know this is a Wednesday night crowd. But I want to ask your friend and as a pastor, y'all, we don't know what, could call, what the cost will be in a year or two or three or four or ten or fifteen if the Lord should tarry. I have to... Be honest and consider there could be a day where I myself and Andrew and other pastors here will be thrown in jail for the for preaching the gospel in this pulpit. That's a cost that I'll have to count. That's a cost that's real. And some of us and, and the reality is that we just we are so used to the Christian life where it's get up and go to church and do our church thing. But to live a life that is really about denying myself and taking up a cross, that it seems optional. But Jesus makes it very clear that this isn't an optional thing on your contract. This is the call of the believer. This is the call of the disciple is to do this, is to go after him. It says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The phrase come after me is in the Greek just means follow me. And so what you really see is you see this, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And it's intent that way. It's on purpose. It's a sandwich, essentially. Follow me, deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. The point being is this. What's in between of the follows is what, is what it means to follow him. What's in between that statement is this. Deny yourself take up your cross that's what it means to follow jesus and i know that this like this isn't popular to necessary to preach it's not very popular necessarily to say 
But I, I, as a pastor, we, I have to warn you of what potentially w- w- could come into our lives. And we have to acknowledge this is in front of us. To deny myself. And to deny myself, it, it really is this. To deny your life is one that is giving up, or, or I would say it this way, is a life that is not devoted to comfort, fame, safety, and acceptance. And if I'm just being honest, many of us love those things. We love the fame. We love being accepted by people. We love safety. We love comfort. And we love glory. We love it. But if we're going to go with Jesus, remember, where did he go? He went to death. He's calling us to death. If we're going to go with Jesus, we have to understand there is a great potential. And I would say not even a potential, but I say a reality that it would cost us potentially these things in our lives today. It could cost you being accepted by your family members. Some people I know, it did cost them that. But the more and more as things keep moving in the direction that they're moving at a very quick pace, I think it could cost more than what we know now. It could cost us very much being accepted by people. And y'all, I'm going to be honest with you. When I was a personal trainer, I had every opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. Like, I really did. Like, I was thinking about it. You know, you train six to eight people a day. You're an hour with that one person. And then you had your other coworkers that you could talk to. And y'all, can, if I can be just very honest with you, I cared more about being accepted by these people and, and, and having their business and making sure that I could do these things than I did about sharing who Jesus was with them. It was a cost that I wasn't really willing to pay at the time. I missed such great opportunities in my life. And I didn't understand that to deny myself was really, that it would potentially cost me all of these things. Comfort, fame, safety, acceptance, all of those sort of things. And it's not that those things are inherently evil. We know that. But when those things become, we're more devoted to those things than to the cause of Christ. That is where we are stepping on dangerous grounds. And so he says, follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. In other words, letting deny ourselves, not living a life that's devoted to our own pleasures, our own safety, our own acceptance, and all of these sort of things is what it means to deny ourselves. And to take up our cross is simply to just mean die. We've heard it before, and many times you've heard these sort of things, that we wear crosses as jewelry. Some of you may have that in here today. But it would be like walking around with an electric chair right now. Who's doing that? Like, that's not stylish. The cross has become this beautiful piece of jewelry, but the reality was, is Jesus saying, embrace the electric chair. And it was the most, it was, it was the most horrific and shameful way of dying. Absolutely stripped naked and exposed to the world. It was a complete, horrific embarrassment. There was shame that assaulted. And he's saying, embrace that. Like, because he embraces that. He embraced that. And that, that, that's what I'm, as followers of Jesus, we are called to go where he goes. I know that's not easy, but it is what's before us. And I know that things in this life, the temptation for us is to say, well, you know, I can, I can be a, a Christian and I can live my Christian life and I really don't have to go that way. And I would just challenge you, why settle like that? Why settle like that? Why live a Christian life that literally looks just like a lost person, except you go to church maybe on a Sunday? 
or on a Wednesday. Why, why, why will we settle for that when we could, be, we could serve Jesus in such glorious ways? But here's the truth is what you read the scripture. Is I could say all that and, and, and I know like people will read that and it's like, oh, okay, so I gotta, I gotta deny myself and I gotta kill myself and I gotta take up the cross and I gotta follow Jesus and that is a reality. I do not deny that. If he goes to death, we go to death. We follow him to that place. But it's not just that, but what he, but he, what he does after that is he comforts us. He makes it very clear why you should. It's not just so that you suffer just for suffering's sake. Jesus never calls you to go find suffering just to suffer. He never says, hey, suffering's fun. Just go look for suffering. Right? That's not what he's after. The reality is as we follow him, we are going to suffer. We are going to be opposed. We are going to be shamed. And I'm not talking, I'm, I'm talking like if you, like, I just wonder, like, I'm a, I don't do this, so I'm not, I'm not saying I do this. But if we literally took the word of God and the commands and the simple truth of Jesus and begin to say, Jesus, I'm going to obey them. And I know we're not going to ever be perfect at that. That's not what I mean. Please don't misunderstand me. But I'm going to obey them. And we begin to actually walk like every day seeking to live it out as best as we could by the grace of God that he gives us. I, I would imagine even in today's American society, we would have a lot more opposition in our life. We would have some serious shame. We would be, people would not accept us. But somehow we, it's like to do that is costly and I almost want to camouflage in where it will cost me, I'm willing to let it cost this much, but not this much. And, and, and Jesus is saying, I want you to take all that I am and embrace it. What he says here is he gives really four different statements regarding after that why we should take up the cross and follow him. He says in verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Right? This is that paradox. It doesn't make sense. You want to save your life, you should take care of your life. You should make it all about you. You should take care of your comforts and make sure you're taking, if you, all of those sort of things, acceptance and glory and those sort of things, that's what you should do to save your life. And Jesus is like, no. If you wish to save your life, you give up your life. You give up those pursuits. Those pursuits will cost us our lives, is what Jesus says. Our lives with him. The pursuits that the world pursues will cost us. And there comes, and, and, and we have to weigh that. We have to answer that. We have to look at that in our own lives. Or, like he says, we could go that way. We could choose this life here and now, and in the end, we'll lose it. And I know I'm not, I'm, I'm not speaking to unbelievers, but this he's talking to his disciples. So sometimes I think we we're like, well, that's for the unbeliever. I don't, I don't want to think about it. No, this is the disciples. This is you guys. This is me. I have to let it assess my heart. I have to let it speak to me honestly and openly and say, are there things that I just, Jesus, I, I care. I want to pursue this life and not lose my life. I want to lose my life so that I can gain life with Christ. But this is what he says. That is one of the reasons. But really what he says is the reason why is this for my sake, for the gospels. Why do we embrace death? Because Jesus embraced death. Because we love Jesus. For my sake. I don't want to try to convince you to, do, to, to take up your cross or to follow Jesus or to embrace the path of death just for the sake of path of death. But to embrace that because you love Jesus. Because he says you do it for my sake. And I know that the only way that's possible in our lives is truly by the grace of God. Empowering us. 
But the truth is, sometimes I think when we don't do that, we want to blame and be like, well, God, give me grace. He's pouring his grace out. His grace has been bestowed upon us. And so for us, it's like, why? Why do? Why would I go down that path? Why would I actually embrace rejection and shame and not being accepted by everybody and not being popular or, comfort, or comfortable or, or wealth or status or whatever? And he thinks, why would I do that? Because Jesus is altogether worthy. And if that is not the foundation of your following Jesus, I promise you won't. You'll turn back. You'll turn back. And that's one of the the greatest things. And the one thing I always pray and I ask is, God, give people a revelation of your beauty, Jesus. We can't follow Jesus for each other, for our parents, or even Pastor Lee. We have to follow Jesus because he is beautiful and he's worthy. And because he is absolutely stunning to my life and because he has radically saved me and changed me and given me new life and, and blessed me beyond all of these things. And he has been everything I could have ever imagined. Then I will follow him. And so it leads me to pray in such a way where it's like, let me see your beauty. Let me behold the Lamb of God. Let me see you and, and, and know you. Let me understand you. Let me, let me not just read my Bible for reading Bible, but let me read my Bible so that I can see your beauty because it says I see your beauty. I love you. And as I see your, and as I love you, I will follow you. I will go after you. I will give my life in such a way. Not only that, but for his sake and for the gospel's sake, the gospel has to mean something to us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the gospel is of first most importance. We don't move off the gospel. The gospel truth must be something that we, re- we re-examine with our lives. We examine, we, we openly confess, and that we live for. We will preach the gospel. We will not hold back our tongue. If, if We will not hold back the gospel if it causes us to lose popularity. We're not going to do it. Or whatever it might be. But I know that's the real temptation. Because we live in a culture that's all, it's, it's, it's literally fashioned for our comfort. It's literally fashioned for us to be just happy Americans. And it's very difficult to live out some of these things sometimes because we know if we did that, it would just it would go completely opposite of our culture. And we would be so ostracized by people. And so he says, for whatever, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. Right. And then he says, for what it profits a man to gain the whole world and forfeits his soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? Simply this. Nothing. You can't give anything for your soul. Right. You can you can gain the whole world and you'll lose your soul. There's nothing you can give in return for your soul. All of those things that could be appealing to us and keeping us from going the way of death or going the way of Christ, which is to die, is one that is not it doesn't have any profit in the end. It does nothing for us, but it causes us actually to miss out on what God wants for us. And then lastly, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the angels? And I just read that and I don't even know how to take all that in. But I do know this is that to be ashamed of Jesus sounds very costly. Doesn't sound light. And I I know I I don't necessarily I don't enjoy Sometimes these passages, because they are confronting to my life, but at the same time, I understand this is written to the disciples of Jesus. And as I'm a disciple, if I am to, to deny these certain things and only want to read the things where Jesus is just about certain ways or things that I like, I'm missing it. And that the, what, what it is that God is after in my life is this. 
for me to go the way of Jesus. This is a call for every one of us. Uh, Romans 8, and I've said this to y'all, and Pastor Lee has said it a good bit too, is that it talks about how all things work together for good for those who love Christ Jesus, right? According to his purposes. And we quote that scripture a lot when we're going through difficult times, but when you continue to read it and you understand what it really says, he says the good, he defines the good as being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And y'all... As Jesus' followers and disciples and believers in here today, this is God's goal. This is what he's doing with you right now. This is what he's doing with me, is that he is desiring to conform us to the image of Jesus. So why do I embrace some of the things that we walk through? So that it can shape me to become like Christ. So that I can become as God is desiring to make me, as God is forming me and fashioning me in this life. So musicians, you can come up. And what I just want to pray, and I know it's, this, it's it, to me it's the simple word of God. Is I want us to be honest with our own lives. And I'm not, I don't want anybody in here to come, you know, well, maybe you're not a follower at all. Maybe you're not a disciple. Maybe you're not a believer today. Maybe you do need to hear the word that says you're going to lose your life if you continue down this path. And you need to confess Jesus as Lord and you need to repent of your sins and call on him for salvation. He'll do that today. But for many of us in here today as disciples, Jesus gave us a lesson on what it really meant to follow him because he showed us who he was. He was the Messiah who would die. But he didn't just die, y'all. He gained triumph through his death. And I want to comfort you with this because I know that when you hear a word like this, it's like, Man, if I'm to lay down certain things that I hold so dearly in my life and I'm devoted to those things and God is putting his thumb on those things, what is going to happen to me? As Jesus died and it brought life, as you let those things die in your life, you will receive life. You will receive the goodness of God. You'll receive the presence of God in a way. You'll receive his ministry to you. You'll see Jesus in a light of saying he's worthy of it. I know many of you probably can say that from experience in your own life. Where God put his thumb on things in your life. And as you laid those things down, you found out that really he was worth it. He was worth it. And so as, as believers in here, as disciples in here, to, for us to just say, just to confess to him, Lord, I want to embrace your way. I'm not saying you got to have it all figured out or you're going to be like, okay, I am embracing and I've got it all down pat because I know we all fail. I know we all sin and the grace of God is there for us and the grace of God sustains us and keeps us and even gives us the ability to embrace any of this. But the truth is, is that as a disciple, we would say this is, Jesus, I just want, I want to embrace your life. And if that means for me to have to die, deny myself the things that are so that I want with all of my heart. God, I will. And so, if we could stand, and if you could just have your, a conversation with the Lord, this isn't the type of sermon that fills the altars. You know? It's just, it's just the word that Jesus says to us. And I'm praying in my own life that whatever may come, because I do want you to think about that, Whatever may come in this life and whatever is coming, because things are coming, 
we, would, we will be able to say, Jesus, you're worth it. I will follow you. And I don't want to use you, Jesus, to be a genie in the bottle for me and say, well, you're the Messiah and this is the kind of Jesus you're supposed to be. You would never ask me to do that. You would never ask me to give up this thing or that thing or this, this vehicle. You'd never ask me to tithe that much. You would never ask me to actually go to my neighbor across the street and invite them into my house and reach them. No, you know, you would want me to build my walls up so they don't get into my life. No, no. you would never ask me to do these sort of things. But Jesus, there's things that he's asking of all of us. And when we, re- when we say no, we're saying, that's not worth it. And I just pray. And, and look, some of you in here, you are walking through some of the most difficult seasons of life. And your lives are a testimony that you do believe he's worth it. And I know that when you allow yourself to go down those seasons of death, life is given to you. Right? Because that's what he says. If you lose your life, if you die, you will save your life. He doesn't just forcefully make us obey him and beat us with a whip, hurt us. But he promises everlasting life. He promises communion with him. Jesus will give you communion if you embrace death. Life with him. Joy. The fullness of that. I often think about Pastor Lee and his life and things he has said to to me at times of just his journey as a pastor. And really many, many things you would know, y'all personally would know too, just over the last 10 years of his life. He embraced death in himself because he saw himself. God showed him himself. And he embraced that. And when he did, he, you know, he, he used the words that like he received the grace of God in abundance. And life was given to him. And so I, I pray that you, you don't hear this and say, well, it's just, just a grunt thing. It's just, I gotta, I gotta bite my teeth for Jesus and follow him. But you would believe that he's good. And when he says, if you'd follow me, if any man would follow me, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And you say, God, I will. You believe that what he said, the rest of that is true too. And I know because of this, Jesus, I say yes to you. You will pour out your life, your presence. So dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you. And God, I just thank you. I thank you, God, that your word deals with us. It deals with me. Lord, you don't allow me to escape it. You, you just, you let your word just speak. And, and I, I pray, Father, that our lives would be examined today. That we would be open with you. That we would confess to you, Jesus, that you are worthy. And I pray for a great revelation of how beautiful you are. I know, Jesus, that the disciples really didn't get it. And many times we don't get it. We think you're, we think you're the kind of Jesus or the, or the Messiah we want you to be. But you're really one that is so different than we are. And I pray that we'd embrace the kind of Messiah you are because you call us to follow. I pray you give us great grace and strength. I pray that you would encourage people today, God, that this isn't, this isn't you trying to break them, destroy them, but it's you saying, if you follow me, you will receive the life. And that would be our motivation, that because we love you and because you promised life to us, God, we are willing to go where you call us to go. We're willing to do what you call us to do whatever that might be, whatever thing it is that you're asking us to do tonight. So, Lord, deal with our lives. And as we enter this time of just the altar, God, help us. Just pour grace out. For without grace, 
we are utterly helpless to obey anything from this word. Thank you that it is the Holy Spirit who does it in us. So we confess our need for you, our love for you. Help us, Holy Spirit.